This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi onatangata o Manawatu. It is Friday. Hurrah! Uh, the 9th of July, the weekend, is almost here. Uh, but before we get to the weekend, some important stuff must be done, including catching up with Mema Oparimata o Papaioia Tangi Utakeri. Good morning to you, sir. Morena, Fraser. Lovely to chat to you. Uh, on a Friday morning. Yes, uh, but uh, the the more astute amongst us who have been awake for a while will notice you're not in the studio, you're on the phone, because you've, you've got a rather happy occasion to attend to. Yes, I am. So I'm, I'm still in Wellington uh, at the moment. The house uh, set into urgency for part of this week. Um, and then last night we had a uh, the US uh, embassy celebrations for the 4th of July here and uh, but today I'm working out of Wellington for the morning and a colleague of mine is actually getting married this afternoon at Parliament. So this is the, the second colleague uh, this year actually who um, has has used Parliament as the venue for their their wedding and so um, I'll I'll head along to that for the Sally for the uh, happy celebration and then um, and then head back home later this evening. And you'll be back in Papaioya in time for the Matariki celebrations down at the Manawatu Hour. I certainly will. I'll be back in time for 7 o'clock at the Albert Street Market tomorrow, actually. So I'll be there uh, from 7 through to 11. If anyone wants to come and have a chat, more than welcome to do that. And then uh, late in the day, early evening, um, I will be down at the Manawatu Awa um, as part of the Matariki Festival. A great opportunity I see that the organisers, you know, jointly between uh, Rangatane and the council are, and others, uh, are encouraging people to take a blanket um, and to enjoy what seems to be uh, cracking up to be a really good, enjoyable festival. And the uh, the last time it would uh, appear that we will be celebrating uh, Matariki uh, and making allowances for people having to go to work because it will be a public holiday next year. Yeah, that's right. So that delivers on our pre-election promise of a public holiday to acknowledge uh, the significance of Matariki, and I think that's fantastic in terms of, you know, a new opportunity to celebrate something that is uniquely Aotearoa New Zealand. And so um, from next year, uh, that will be the kickstart of that new public holiday, and, and we've given a, a significant lead in time uh, for that. The int- introduction of the legislation to allow that will take place later this year, and um, yeah, it will always fall on a Friday, but it will be a roving Friday because it will depend on uh, the Māori lunar calendar and that will change from year to year. But actually last week the government announced the next 30 dates uh, for the next 30 years so that people that want to plan long, long term can certainly do that. Well, in in this uh, pandemic environment and, and having to organise travel, 30 years notice might be uh, about right. Well, the optimist in me would say that the 30 years is, is for longer-term uh, arrangements that are a bit wider than that. But, um, yeah, look, it's, it's great to have a public holiday. And just on that, I know that, you know, this week we saw the arrival of the next batch of, um, of vaccines into New Zealand um, slightly earlier than anticipated. 
and then the approval by MedSafe of the Janssen alternative um, means that hopefully the next 30 years uh, people will be able to uh, avail their opportunities of the Matareka public holiday uh, COVID-free much sooner uh, than perhaps others might think. Uh, indeed, um, I don't know. I, we've we've covered your uh, involvement and and uh, legacy and history in the horse racing uh, arena. I don't know if that extends to other sports and indeed a willingness to have a flutter on other sports. But we can't avoid the fact that Euro twenty twenty, being held in twenty twenty one, has been making headlines at the moment. Have you been fluttering away on the results of that, or, or are you like me and have almost zero interest in professional soccer? I, I have a little bit of an interest. Um, I, I leave a lot of that to my younger brothers who uh, who, who play the play the sport. Um, but I have to say that you know I was just yesterday walking through my area in, in the basement, um, and there's a big TV in there, and there were lots of people gathered around, and it was because they were keen to uh, watch watch the game. And obviously, um, you know, England prevailing. Uh, yesterday means that, um, look, I think I heard last night that it'll either go to uh, Rome and, and Italy or to um, or to the UK or to, to England. So um, I'm sure that many of us will set aside just a little bit of time on Monday if we we're able to to um, to see some of that in action. Yes, it's either coming home or coming to Rome. Ah, there we go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you are. You got the tagline. <laughs> um, in a similar vein with sports, we hear this morning that the Olympics will now be held without an audience. Uh, athlete response is, is mixed to that. I mean, they're all pleased that it's still going ahead in some way, shape or form. Some are thinking that they may perform better without audience distraction. Some may find the lack of audience to their detriment. Do we as a country and do you as a government have any um, additional concerns around uh, safety and security for our uh, Aotearoa athletes? Oh, look, I think that, you know, those decisions that have been made by um, the IOC and indeed um, the Japanese government, obviously they have considerations for the health, safety and well-being of of participants and even those who would be there to observe. Um, It's certainly our expectation, I would hope, that, you know, our our athletes are there in, in safe uh, circumstances. I know that many of them, in terms of you know what was a traditional Olympic village, that approach is quite different for all athletes. Um, and so, look, I know that there's been a, a lot of conversation about whether the the Tokyo um, Olympics should have gone ahead or not. We all know that there is a huge logistical uh, and infrastructural arrangement in feet, um, and obviously our IOC and the government would only uh, be sending athletes if we were satisfied that actually they were safe and secure and that there wasn't an undue risk. So um, that, that's certainly my expectation and understanding. There we go. We are here with Tangi Utikeri, MP for Palmerston North for the catch-up, uh, turning to slightly more serious uh, issues, uh, although some will think football is the most serious issue on the planet. Um, <laughs> the uh, treaty settlements continue. Nati Maru settlement, uh, you wanted to uh, touch on this? Yeah, I did because um, it, it's something that I was—I I wasn't speaking on, but I was in the house this week for the first reading um, of that. And, and, and many of your listeners will know that you know the first reading is the first step of of a bill working its way through Parliament, mm. um, and they're now really quite significant and special um, occasions. And so I just wanted to, I guess, share with 
with your listeners about the opportunity um, for me to, to be there and, and present. It's a, a claim that's from the Taranaki region. It's a claim that um, is the last of the Taranaki area or, or um, sort of uh, part of, of that part of Aotearoa New Zealand. Um, and while it does come with some financial redress and, and other things around different um, sites of cultural significance, actually there is nothing like being in the Parliament of New Zealand and having representatives of Iwi who have worked through this and who have uh, been part of what is an extremely long period um, of settlement uh, in the gallery. And so just listening to other members from all across the House uh, and the Speaker, you know, um, reflect on that. It's something actually pretty special. It, it It is. And when I started to learn a bit more about what the treaty settlements across the country uh, were about as a, as a migrant to New Zealand, I am continually impressed. Uh, and, you know, there's a touch of sadness that obviously that goes along with that around the patience of Tangitha Whenua. Uh, to go through this process, uh, which is largely bureaucratic, uh, as a response to some pretty awful treatment for, you know, a couple of hundred years. Yeah, you're right. Uh, there is a huge amount of um, patience and, I guess, resilience that's been built up over many, many years. And to me, I just reflect on the contribution in the House of the Deputy Speaker, who's also the local um, Member of Parliament, that's Adrian Ruzafi, um, and, you know, he was saying to, and directing the comments to those in the gallery representing Ngati Maru, that the, the formalised history, the, the accepted um, or the published history of, of the claim as part of the settlement, you know, what happened over that time, um, no doubt will not reflect the, the true uh, recollections of many. And that that's part of of the settlement process. And so while, you know, we're working through a stage of of formalising things and that there is agreement, um, let's not kid ourselves that that's not the full picture. And, um, and, you know, his contribution to the House um, was really something that I found quite moving. Um, So, yeah, the resilience, the patience is something that Ngati Maru um, have experienced, have displayed, um, and no doubt other iwi all around the mutu. Um, have displayed that that patience and resilience as well as we work through um, the the settlement process. I want to preface my 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 next question on this by saying, you know, the, the settlement process is is some way of acknowledging uh, what Westerners and, and Pakeha and migrants have have done over the years, but it won't go all the way. In fact, you know, in some cases, it won't go anywhere near enough in you know healing the hurt that 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 has occurred. But the settlement process is meant to be a finite process. It is meant to come to an end at some point. Uh, how far along that journey are we? Well, we are coming some way. And, and I think back to, you know, um, the mid-1990s when the national government identified that there would be this fiscal envelope of, I think it was $1 billion, and that was it. You know, once we ran out of the of the the, uh, the pooty or the money in the envelope, then, then that was it. So you had to get in quick. And then, of course, you had the Ngaitahu settlement down south, which effectively um, covered a lot of that $1 billion. So it soon then was realised that actually this was a long-term process. Um, to Arafiti, who are the Crown Relations Agency um, that government established, are continuing to work through the process. Um, and the, I guess my contribution is, while there might be a, a finite time that's coming, 
actually we still can't rush these things because you know the nature of the settlements are such that they are sensitive. We're talking about whānau, hapu, iwi, um, the experiences that they have had over many, many years and continue to have as well. And so while, yes, we, we are all keen to see that redress and settlement um, does reach a, a point of finality, actually we need to make sure that we're doing this in a respectful way um, and that we, we at the same time don't rush this too fast to compromise, um, you know, the, the, the unique opportunity that we're all in. Um, we are here with Tangi Utikeri, Mema Oparimata o Papaioia, for the catch-up. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We are also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, accessmedia.nz, both the website and the app. We spray ourselves far and wide uh, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, let's turn to some more activity in the house, Tangi. Uh, the Zero Suicide Special debate, um, obviously wanting to garner some headlines there, sadly overshadowed a bit by the exclusion of Louisa Wall. Well, I mean, Louisa did, did speak in the debate and, and, you know, those sort of matters are matters for caucus. But what I would say about the zero suicide special debate was that this was a, was a cross-party um, initiative uh, and it was something that they've been working on for a, a wee while. Um, I guess, you know, again, in the debate, um, had some really um, significant and poignant contributions from members across the House. Um, You know, members who talked about their own personal experience, members who talked about uh, the experience of family members and and close friends, and members who talked about their particular special environment um, and community. And so, you know, this was something that was signalled last year. It's been a piece of work that um, the cross-party group have been working on. Um, and when I talk about, I guess, environments and communities, you know, we had contributions from um, members in the House who who are advocates and representatives of our Māori community, um, our rainbow community, our rural community, um, but, but also, you know, the, the fact that the, the figures and stats for our Pacifica community is, is much too high, our ethnic community as well. So it was one of those rare opportunities where we, this new parliament seems to have um, local debates and special debates, and they are specific times set aside uh, where the focus is purely on a special or local issue. Um, And so late yesterday afternoon, we we heard um, from uh, members about, um, about this important issue. How it seems to have gone a bit quiet in, in in the news recently, but we're getting very close to euthanasia being legal in this country, and and that is uh, you know the opponents to the euthanasia bill would, were calling it the assisted suicide act to try and you know uh, divert uh, public appetite for or or against. Um, th- this has a bearing though, doesn't it? Because that it, it is assisted suicide, and that that compounds the issue? Well, uh, the, 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 commu- the public obviously delivered um, their verdict on, on that in the referendum last year, and so it, the bill itself comes into being one year after um, the referendum result, as I, as I recollect, and that will be subject to its own um, systems and approach, and that's, that's a particular uh, high threshold. Um, it's, uh, you know, what, what was interesting yesterday is that members used it as an opportunity to reflect on what had been, but also their hopes and aspirations for the future. And so I think whilst, 
you know, some people might want to draw a, a connection between the two. Um, I, th- I think, you know, my my focus, um, my recollection, I guess, of yesterday was more around actually the fact that we need to do better as a community, as a society. And so the contributions yesterday and the report itself is actually around um, how we can look to remove the, the stigma that it's actually okay to be talking about these things, that it's actually okay to seek help. And often in those traditional um, communities where actually some people feel as though they can't seek help. Um, you know, in rural communities where often it's it's landed on a really small number of people, um, I reflect on the contribution of the Chief Government Whip, Kieran McAnulty, who himself has been, a, you know, I think for six or seven years prior to entering Parliament was a volunteer firefighter, talking about, um, you know, how in rural communities it largely, it, it, it is actually, the volunteer firefighters who are called to attend um, suicides and the impact that that has on them. So, I, uh, yeah, I think that the focus yesterday was actually about experiences, but actually also on what needs to happen um, moving forward, and that it's okay to be talking about these things. Because, I mean, I mean, largely this is uh, a, a mental health issue, and New Zealand is in, to be utterly glib, a bit of a pickle when it comes to mental health at the moment. Child poverty continues to rise. Homelessness continues to rise. Uh, I was watching uh, uh, something on YouTube last night interviewing a homeless man where he said, I have a job. This was in America. I mean, it's irrelevant, largely irrelevant, apart from the following thing that he said, which was... it. When you have a job, but you can't afford to live, you can't afford a house, uh, then everything becomes futile. And when things are futile and you're working towards nothing, that's when mental health and poor decisions around substance abuse come to the fore. What was said in this special debate to try and work rapidly towards this this feeling, uh, tackling this feeling of futility? Mm. And I do want to acknowledge that, you know, this does stem from mental health awareness and mental health issues. Uh, and that back in, I think it was 2018, the government, as part of its uh, report and, uh, I guess, taking a look into that area, this piece of work stemmed from that. So you're quite right in that the connection is directly back to that, that piece of work. But in terms of that futility, um, well, actually, the conversations last night and in the report were were the start of, of talking about these things. So it's certainly expected that, you know, the report will inform um, government and agency approaches to how they might um, deal with issues, how they might look to destigmatize um, the, the conversation around suicidality. Uh, and, and I guess the interesting thing is that the report itself, you know, is not just talking about um, the that sense of finality of of um, of suicides, but actually the huge numbers of people that think about it, that have a plan, that attempt, and that you know unfortunately make that final decision. So it is, I think, opening up the conversation as a starting point. And people might say, well, what does that mean in terms of you know is money going to flow and all that sort of stuff? Um, resourcing, etc., all all do have their place, but actually. As a starting point, if we're much freer to talk about it as a community, as a society, in our rainbow communities, in our Māori, in our Pacific, in our young rangatahi communities, in our rural sectors, then actually we're starting to destigmatise that so that that sense of futility um, is, is... We're heading on that path to that no longer being there. I accept that for people who are in circumstances where they lack housing, they lack access to uh, particular areas of support, that actually they do contemplate and think about 
um, suicide. And that was discussed in the debate last night. So it's about trying to break down that in tandem uh, with providing resources in those areas. Well, I hope that is of some comfort for the people that will be thinking about this now. My one criticism of the the government process is the sheer amount of time, which I'm sure you're at pains to to justify and explain, but still it is frustrating for the most vulnerable. Um, However, there has been a win, uh, albeit 12 years in the making. I think the first time this was uh, tackled by the Labour Party was in 2009, but we will finally be getting folic acid in bread, uh, hopefully uh, sticking it to spina bifida and related diseases. Uh, You must be pretty pleased about this. Yeah, I am. And some people might say, well, you know, talking about bread, whoop-de-doo. Well, the reality is that actually the research out there um, and our colleague, um, Dr. Aisha Verrill, who announced this, uh, you know, earlier this week or or yesterday, um, has indicated that actually it will make a difference. And the interesting step that I was told is you know, where a number of births are actually um, not necessarily planned, um, at that point it's, it's too late to be starting to take the folic acid as a vitamin B um, opportunity. And so by allowing for this, it means actually in terms of in the food supply, it's in women's, it's in women's system uh, much sooner, so that for those... Um, you know, births where actually it wasn't necessarily planned. Um, there's no need to start looking at, oh, how can we take the vitamin or the supplement because it's already there. There will still be an option for those that don't want to, who want to opt out, um, because this would only relate as a regulation through to, um, you know, non-organic uh, wheat flour that's used for, for making bread. So those that don't want to have the folic acid, then they are free to have organic um, wheat flour that that won't have uh, won't have vitamin B in it. I'm going to ask you to be uh, generous and and diplomatic and help us uh, understand this because uh, the National Party were opposed. They were opposed in 2009. They've been opposed until very recently, but they've said now that they have been swayed by the science and changed their mind. Uh, a number of the sort of the industry advocates who were incredibly uh, the, the bakers and uh, the distributors were uh, opposed to this. They've changed their mind. What was the fundamental opposition? to this because my understanding limited though it is was that the science generally has backed this up for a considerable amount of time yeah i think it was the, the need to put in a effectively what is a, a vitamin uh when people can already obtain that themselves you know you, you can all go and get for you can go you can go and get um folic acid you can go and get vitamin b and that way it can be in your system um but this is just one way in which it provides easy access to go against, actually, these rising rates of spina bifida and similar conditions as well. And so, yeah, I, I can't speak for the National Party or for others. Um, this has been a consistent line from Labour. And so it, it's, I guess, a delight that others have decided that actually this is a good thing because what is it going to do? Well, it's going to reduce the the incidence of spina bifida and, and, and other conditions of, of similar ilk um, for babies. Um, and it's, in my view, and in the government's view, a, a very simplistic way in which we can 
we can address that. I guess my thing is that the, the misinformation that was, uh, uh, the, the accusations of, of misinformation around the folic acid in bread didn't seem to marry up perhaps with, for example, the misinformation that's been flying around with regards to fluoride in the water. Um, yes. So I wondered if there was a more legitimate opposition to the folic acid issue. Not, look, not that I'm aware of, um, and, and to be fair, you know, 12 years in the making, it's a, a, a different piece of bread, but um, I, I, I wasn't aware of, of things in those sort of early, earlier stages. Um, but you're right, I mean, you know, it's concerning that there is elements of, well, there is an element of misinformation on a whole range of different things, actually, um, including the vaccine. Uh, and look, I just think this is a great, great decision that's been made, and like I say, it's, it's, Warming that others have, um, who have previously perhaps not de- have decided actually the evidence stacks up and it's a good decision to back. We've got about three minutes left, Tangy, and I know you'd love to talk about your members' bill, but we did touch on that last week, so we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over that and go <laughs> right. to uh, the government's investment in rail, because I guess this has particular relevance when we look at the Kiwi Rail Freight Hub that's going to be coming in in the next few years in, in Papaioia. So, you know, investment in rail uh, sort of bolsters mm. that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So this is um, a piece of work that the government have announced. It is our investment in New Zealand Rail, um, and it does identify over the next three years. Obviously, it's a long-term project, um, and people will understand that. Um, A whole range of different upgrades to the network, um, including in and around Palmerston North. Um, So our central freight hub will be part of that. Obviously, that's something where the infrastructure needs to be put in place, and so all of these upgrades you know, will certainly be quite supportive of that. Um, part of uh, part of the upgrade also actually is the investigation into a um, it will further improvements in a business case, I guess, around the electrification of the main trunk line. So um, currently, it, it goes through to um, Waikanae, and so there are conversations around a business case to look at extending that up to Lebanon, um, and then obviously beyond. And so while that's a longer term. Uh, consideration, it still will be really important for, for Palmerston North and something that I I know that the MP for Otaki, Teresa Ngobi is an advocate of that and, and I'm supporting her in that piece of work as well. So yeah, this, this infrastructure rail upgrade um, work, while might sound a little bit small to some communities because it's an upgrade of, of crossings and lights and things, it's still really important um, as part of the overall bigger picture it's extremely important for us. Yeah, and I guess it's worth pointing out, particularly for our area, that this is a, a different uh, investment area uh, than perhaps people are, are more interested in in a public way with the capital connection, you know, more investment into that and trying to make it a more usable service. Yeah, that's right. So all of this infrastructure stuff will, will mean that actually what's on the rails um, it can be put to good use. And so if we have really strong infrastructure, then that's a better case for increased um, service provision, increased level of service for capital connection. Just on that, uh, you'll know, Fraser, that I'm a huge advocate for the capital connection service. Um, it's my preferred mode of transport, albeit today, um, to to and from Wellington. And so, you know, where we can get increases in terms of capacity, but also um, timetabling, I'm fully supportive of that. And I'll continue to chip away. Um, to ensure that those that are making these decisions know that it is a valuable, vital and really important service for our local community. There we go. Tangi Utikeri, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North. Thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. 
Thank you, Fraser. Look forward to seeing people at the market tomorrow and indeed at the Matariki Riverside, um, our side uh, event tomorrow as well. Thank you very much. Uh, Tangi Utakeri, MP for Palmerston North, on the catch-up for your Friday morning. Uh, Make sure you tune in on Tuesday for the next catch-up. It would appear that uh, we're not going to have a catch-up with Jimmy Ellingham on Monday, so Tuesday at half past eight will be the next catch-up. Make sure you join us for that or listen to previous editions at npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Matariki. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.